welcome to The Covercast, a podcast all about books, publishing and everything in between. I'm Kate, book blogger, bookseller and aspiring writer. And I'm Ellen, just a straight up bookseller for a well-known chain of bookshops. This week we'll be talking about the Women's Prize Longlist, London Book Fair and film and TV adaptations of books. And as usual, we'll be discussing what we've been reading recently. So let's get started. Welcome to the second episode of the Covercast. Yay! Thank you for listening. We're very excited. We've been having a lot of feedback from our last episode. We're on like almost 400 listens on SoundCloud. So one of the messages I had about the podcast was from one of my lovely friends, Sarah, who works at Faber. And so I actually needed to make a correction of something I said in the last episode. Faber, the publisher, was not started by T.S. Eliot. I'm not really sure where I got that from. Such a good start having to correct (laughs) on the second episode. It was actually started by a man called Jeffrey Faber, which makes a lot of sense. So that serves me right for not fact checking, I guess. But clearly just don't take anything we say seriously because... But we're not a factual podcast. We are an opinion-based podcast. (laughs) So, let's talk about what we're reading at the moment then. I've just finished the audiobook of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is read by Stephen Fry, who should read all audiobooks because he's the best ever. And tried to read the print book when I was younger, but didn't really get very far. But I loved the film. We will talk about the films later more. But I'm really pleased that I actually read it all the way through and it's, yeah, it's fab. It's just so quirky. I don't think I've read anything like it and I think I'll struggle to, to ever read anything like it. Can you give a plot rundown? Because I know, as blasphemous as this may be, I personally don't really know that much about it and I think there are some people listening who probably don't yeah. really know much about it. So basically, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a book which is in the book and it's an encyclopedia for people who hitchhike around the galaxy. And it starts with Arthur Dent, who was my first literary crush because <laughs> he's so cute and he's always like, oh, I need a cup of tea. <laughs> it starts with him uh, in his house. His house is about to be knocked down and then his friend Ford, who's actually from a planet in the vicinity of Beetlejuice, rescues him because it turns out that the Earth is about to be destroyed and then they go on an adventure let's put it like that it's silly but it's enjoyable and quirky and I love Arthur Dent I mean it's a classic isn't it anyone who reads sci-fi and likes sci-fi or Mm. pretty much anyone who is at least a semi-loyal reader has read it so I think it should be so why haven't you (laughs) who do I think I am probably on my like extend it's on my to be read long list is how I would put that well, it's funny because actually I don't really read sci-fi that much. So I'll, I'll read the odd one and I suppose some dystopians will probably fall under sci-fi. But sci-fi and fantasy are not really my thing. Having said that, my other read that I'm currently reading is technically fantasy. So I'm not exactly practicing what I preach right now. But it is A Curse So Dark and Lonely, which is a retelling of Beauty and the Beast for YA fantasy market. And I'm enjoying it so far, but it's it's long and I think... I feel like I'm not really making any progress and I think that might just be because I haven't had time to read it very much. And I feel like it's one of those books that I think I need to sit down and spend a few hours reading it to really push myself forward with it. Who is that one by? Bridget Kemmerer, I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. But I'm not sure. Have you read any Um, other by her? No, and do you know what? It might be a first one, I'm not sure. Mm. But it's going to be a series and to be honest, it's the kind of thing where I probably won't read the other ones in the series. But I think because it's a retelling, it's had a little bit of an appeal for me because it's one of those in the long line of current feminist retellings of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But Sometimes when you're really busy, you're like, oh, I didn't enjoy that book. But actually you're like, I just didn't commit enough time to it. It's, It's not the book's fault, it's my fault. Exactly. 
Um, so what are you reading? I am also reading fantasy at the moment. Well, no, it's not fantasy. It's dystopian sci-fi. Right. Sorry. It's called Zero Bomb by a guy called M.T. Hill. It's on the border between dystopian and sci-fi because it's set in London in 2030, but it's like quite a more advanced future than what London in 2030 will actually be like, yeah. or we have to assume anyway. And the machines have become much more advanced. They do all the work, so a lot of people don't work. Have you seen the film Wally? You know the bit in Wally. Do you know what? I haven't seen it. Oh. I really need to, I think. <laughs> There's a bit in Wally where loads of the people that are on the spaceship and they're all really fat and they're like in these chairs, these like motorized chairs, and none of them can walk. And it's like a bit like that. But it's a really interesting format. So it starts off with third person talking about this guy called Remy and his sort of life but then there's like an extract from a a book that Remy discovers and there's also field notes and stuff about machinery and so there's loads of different parts to it it's interesting I mean it's a fairly jarring book this guy M.T. Hill he only writes books about dystopian futures is it a new book yeah it's brand new he's written two books before the last book he wrote he was nominated for the Philip K. Dick award which is like a sci-fi award Philip K. Dick wrote Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep which is the book that Blade Runner the film is based on which I haven't read but maybe that's another one that should be on my to be read shelf (laughs) your to be read long list yeah Yeah. so how far are you through it? about halfway it's hard going I was reading it in work the other day I did about 10 pages and I was like what? what's just happened? who is this? who are these characters? one of those books where you kind of need the mental energy you have to be focusing I'm committed to reading this so it's taken me a while because I need to commit some time to it I hope that I'll have finished A Curse So Dark and Lonely by the end of the next one. Now I've got a week off. Me too. But it is long, so I don't know. It gets to a point in a long book where I think I could be reading something else, so I hope I don't get that. See, I'm Um, not like that at all. I love a really long book. I'm like, I'm in this for the long haul, 800 pages, sign me up. Really? As long as I like it. As long as I like it, I'm like, yeah, I love it. The sweet spot for me is 200 to 350 pages, Mm. I think. I just like to know everything I possibly can. This is why I really like Margaret Atwood. I like a very deep world build. Like, I like Mm. to know all the details. Like, I like to know what kind of currency they use. And I like to know what the trees look like. And I like to know how you would get on the bus. And I love all of that stuff. That's why I like a really deep dystopia. Probably aren't going to read my books then, because I think I'm going to write quite short books. No, probably won't. Yeah, thanks. So supportive. Anyway, (laughs) so that was our What We're Reading segment. And we'll move on to you, In news, we've got some news to All talk about. All the book news. So recently, the Women's Prize for Fiction long list was announced. Now, we actually said in the last episode, did we? Did you cut it out? It's definitely one of our favourite prizes. Yeah, that's um, what I was going to say, is that we spoke about in the last episode about how we like it. We think it's really a good one. It really brings some stuff to the forefront that wouldn't necessarily get the acknowledgement that it deserves. And I always appreciate the diversity in their nominees and list. We'll get to it in a minute. It's fairly diverse this year. They've done a good job. I'm just going to quickly list them off for you. It is 16 books, so I'll try and be quick. Also, I'm going to butcher all the names. I butchered some names last episode as well, so maybe this is going to be my thing. I just don't know how to pronounce anything. So we've obviously got Normal People by Sally Rooney. Number One Chinese Restaurant, which is Lillian Lee. Ordinary People by Diana Evans. Praise Song for Butterflies, which is Bernice L. McFadden. Remembered, which is Yvonne Battlefelton. Then there's Swan Song, which is Kelly Greenberg, Jeff Cott. The Pisces, which is Melissa Broder. Silence of the Girls, which is Pat Barker. An American Marriage, which is Tyari Jones. Bottle Goods, which is Sophie Van Cleuwen. Um, Circe, which is Madeline Miller. 
fresh water, which is Akweke Amezi. I hope that's how you pronounce that. Ghost Wall, which is Sarah Moss. Lost Children Archive, which is Valeria Luiselli, Milkman, Anna Burns, and then My Sister the Serial Killer as well, which is Oyin Can Braithwaite. So the funny thing about this list is I attempted to guess what was on it. So the night before I wrote my own list, and I was like, I know books, I'll get loads of these. I got... Three. <laughs> That's three out of 16. Yeah, and also I've got two pages of guesses here, so it's not like I just guessed a few. Guessed a lot. I guessed right, normal people, mm-hmm. Cersei, mm-hmm. and my sister, a serial killer. But then there's lots on there which I didn't guess right. Oh, I wish The Dreamers was on there. Yeah, I thought That's that might... And but, the Mars Room. Mm, there was oh. a few. I also thought they might go a bit niche and put in Cassandra Dark, which is a graphic novel. Oh, and you've got transcription. I yeah. Yeah, there was lots on my. I won't. I won't go through all of my list, but I was. Very, so I'm looking at it now, and it's very interesting. Yeah, I was very wrong though. But I quite like being wrong because one of the things about the Women's Prize Awards is even if you're in the book industry, half of them you probably know and have heard of, but there's always a significant amount of them that are actually new, haven't really been read that much which is amazing for these authors especially debut authors because without this long-listed title you know this prize they probably wouldn't have got the attention that they deserve so I like to be surprised I like to see that there's things on there that I haven't heard of I mean I think this actually might be in direct contrast to what we said last episode we did speak about how the man booker is really niche and sometimes you actually just want to see things nominated that you know but I think the women's prize it's a good balance of stuff absolutely you know and then also things you're like I would definitely read that embarrassingly enough on this list I've only read one I've only read normal people Um, so I've read normal people and Cersei uh, oh and the silence of girls which I'm quite surprised that they've put both Cersei and the silence of girls on the list because they're quite similar Mm. they're basically feminist take on Greek myths Mm. I definitely know which one was my favorite I um, really enjoyed Cersei wasn't a huge fan of science of girls I mean it wasn't bad it's just that I didn't enjoy it as much perhaps then that made me think that Pat Barker being the name she is might have helped in that sense but it was a bit of a surprise that they put two of them on there and then that makes me think they've also put normal people and ordinary people on which I'm not saying they're very similar but there's a theme here isn't there from a little bit of blurb reading that I've done they seem like fairly similar books except that normal people has blown up way more yeah I mean what do you think is going to win I don't know actually I think normal people will be shortlisted how many are shortlisted six yeah I think it's six okay if you could pick six to what's your shortlist I could pick six I mean I haven't read them all so I'm I'm basing this a lot on the cover and the blurb (laughs) I'm basing this on like what I think well we'll go with it I think Cersei should be on the on the shortlist I think normal people will be on there I agree with that I think Freshwater will be on there just because of what I'm gathering from talk so with Freshwater just to say the author is the first non-binary trans person to ever be nominated for the Women's Prize which is amazing it's just it just shows how everything is going in leaps and bounds I know there was a lot of talk about that and it's yeah we're, yeah. we're pleased with that it's very good I don't think normal people and Milkman will both be on the shortlist I think it'll be one or the other because I feel like they've both done very well in rewards I wonder if they're both too famous to put them together, but I also wonder whether they care about that or if they're mm. just like, we pick what we like. 
I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'd like to see the Pisces on there. That's one of the ones that I do want to read. Mm. I think there's a lot on there. I mean, it's so it's such a good prize, I think. And I'm really excited to see the shortlist. I'm already going to try and make my way through some of them. I know some people on um, Instagram are like, I'm going to read them all before the shortlist. I'm like, mate... How do you have the time? That was 16 books before the 29th of April, which is 16 books in like a month and a half. Okay, if you can read 16 books in a month and a half, good for you. I cannot. (laughs) Yeah, so the shortlist comes out on the 29th of April, so we'll probably chat about that in the podcast after that. Okay, so you guys can hold us to it. I think My Sister Serial Killer, Normal People. Oh my gosh, I forgot about My Sister Serial Killer. Yeah, that'll be shortlist. My Sister Serial Killer, Normal People, Freshwater, American Marriage, Milkman and Lost Children Archive. That's yeah. my six. So when the shortlist comes out, we'll talk about it again, and we can either be like, man, we're idiots, or we'll be like, we're geniuses. And I should probably just give up now because my long list was so shit. And then the winner is announced on the 5th of June. So yeah. that'll be a good one. Do so we know what they win? I'm not sure if we've looked that up. It's a certain amount of money, mm. I think. It's just like some money. And I think all of the shortlist also gets some money as well, which is quite nice for them. I mean, just being longlisted does a world of good, especially the debuts and the, you know, the ones that we haven't really heard of before. Yeah. Which is brilliant. So that's what we like. We like to see women supporting women. Yes. I mean, yeah, speaking of prizes and publicity and stuff, we were also going to talk about the International Man Booker. But when I was looking at it this morning, on the Man Booker website, it says both the winner and shortlist are guaranteed worldwide readership plus an increase in book sales. And I was like, okay, Man Booker, think a lot of yourself, do we? Such a brag. I, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not like it's not true. Not true, but I was like, like to put that on the website and be like, if you get shortlisted for our prize, you are, you are so lucky. Well done, because we're great. Yeah, it's like, okay, guys. But you also yeah. found out the, about the prize for the Man Booker International? Yeah, so the International Man Booker is, everybody knows what the Man Booker is. Well, I hope. We know what the, the Man Booker is. Man Booker Prize. We talked about it last time. And it's not going to be called the Man Booker after this year. It's just going to be called the Booker because they've got a new sponsor. So the Man are out. The men are, luckily, the men are out. We couldn't be more pleased. <laughs> so, and the international version of the Man Booker is the finest works of translated fiction from around the world. That's a direct quote. And it's all books that have been translated into English and then published in the UK and Ireland. This is kind of a award where I don't tend to know many of them there at was, all. It was, there was 13 on the long list. I have read A Big Fat One, which actually, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm very pleased with myself. I'm pretty sure I've only heard of one because you talked because, about it yeah. in the last podcast. So it Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead, I literally just finished it like last week and now it's been nominated and I'm like, round of applause for me, like I'm so cool. It's a good prize though, I think in the sense that it's um, translated fiction is often overlooked, but I think it's important to value translated fiction and international authors as well. So the award, the prize... For the Man Booker International is £50,000, which is amazing. But the interesting part about it is it's split evenly between the author and the translator. I think it's really interesting. Like, obviously, we we completely agree with that. I think sometimes translators and ghostwriters and things like that can be marginalised. Don't get the credit they deserve. And it's really interesting as well because when I was doing one of my modules for my master's, we were looking at Death in Venice by Thomas Mann, which is translated. And it was interesting because we each had different editions with different translators. And so we were looking at actually how do different translators say different things. So it does make a huge difference to the book itself because it really depends on how the translator is interpreting the text. 
So part of drive your plough over the bones of the dead is, um, so drive your plough over the bones of the dead, how many times am I going to say that this podcast, is a William Blake quote. And part of the plot of that book is that the protagonist, one of her friends that she knows, his job is translating William Blake from English into Polish. Um, Because it's set in Poland, it's originally in Polish, blah, blah, blah. It's almost a bit meta because the whole prize is about translation, but this book is actually about translation and about how you interpret things and also not only how you interpret things that happen in the world. So the book is kind of a murder mystery sort of thing and a bit of a whodunit in a, in a kind of strange way. So it's how you interpret actions, but then also it's partially about how you interpret words. And she talks about how they sit around a table, they read this William Blake poem and then the two of them write down how they would translate it. And it's always sort of incredibly different. It's all very man-booker, isn't it? Yeah. It's super man-booker. But actually, it was really good. For all the uh, crap that we gave it last episode, it's really interesting. And I think it ties in really well with the International Man-Booker. And honestly, I wonder whether that's why they nominated it. Because they were like, this fits really well. Chug her in there. So the shortlist is out on the 9th of April for that one. That's June. Good. Yeah. And in other news... I was lucky enough to go to London Book Fair, which is kind of a hard thing to explain, but I'll give it a go. It's basically the book industry's trade show. It's like an expo, isn't it? There's tons of stands. like The big publishers literally have huge areas for them and ridiculous furniture and stands. And its main function is right selling. So agents go and meet with publishers and try and sell the books that they've signed. Then also agents will meet with publishers and publishers will meet with publishers to sort out international rights, which actually I heard this is quite a big thing for this year's London Book Fair because of Brexit. Let's not get too political in this podcast, but... Um, they were all basically scrabbling to get European deals before the UK left the EU because I think they're worried that American markets are going to sweep in. So a lot of it, to be honest, is agents and publishers doing deals. I went because independent booksellers are invited to go and do the Booksellers Association schedule of events and talks. A lot of it was sitting there and listening to publishers go through upcoming titles over the next year. We even went into Christmas and we can sort of write down what we think we want to stock, who's doing events, things like that. There was also a few sessions on environmentally friendly book selling Mm -hmm. and diversity in book selling, which is really interesting, and also small town regeneration. So I found it interesting just walking around and being Mm -hmm. in the buzz, but basically no one wanted to talk to me because... I'm just a humble bookseller, you know, and it was all about doing deals. But there's not any atmosphere that's quite like it, I suppose, because the book atmosphere is still pretty friendly, Mm. but it was also full of suited people doing business deals. It made me realise, actually, that obviously the book industry is still about making money, like we talked about last episode. Mm. As much as it's a nice industry, there are still money to be made, deals to be had. Yeah. Shaking of hands to be shook. (laughs) Hands to be shook. Um, so obviously, yeah, as Kate does my old job, I went last year, 2018, and I felt exactly the same way. That the stuff that is put on for the independent booksellers is really interesting. It's really interesting to see in the role that you are in and that I was in, you don't necessarily get to, and actually in my job at the moment, you don't get, you're not that highly involved in ordering. So you don't necessarily get to see what's coming out six, eight, ten months in advance. Um, and I think it can be very beneficial as a bookseller or a book blogger or a social media person or an events person 
to know what's coming, know what we can expect in the next year. You definitely see themes as well. Yeah. There's lots of themes of retellings, especially feminist retellings of things. So themes of plastic waste kept coming up, mainly in non-fiction, but children's non-fiction as well, all about the environment. It's really interesting to see themes. It's really exciting as well to see what's coming out. But And also I got a lot of free books, free proofs, which was fab. And I'm like drowning in books now, but and there's worse things to drown in. As an indie bookseller, it's really nice to be able to meet all the other indie booksellers yeah. from across the country because that is a place where they all come together every year, check out what people are doing, talk to people about events. I know in 2018, after London Book Fair, we had a few quite high profile events coming up and it was good to be able to talk to other independent booksellers about it and be like, how did you deal with this person? What did they specifically need X, Y and Z to actually prepare you, which is really nice. And also you get to see quite a lot of inspirational people in that field. When I was there... I went to a really good talk by one of the guys from Gaze the Word, which is the bookshop in London, that I was just completely blown away by. Because if you see that bookshop, it's basically falling apart. And actually, they were like, we just keep it going because it's a place for the community. It's a place for LGBTQ plus people to come. And it shows you how bookshops, not just independent bookshops, but bookshops in general can be much more than just booksellers. They are more than just shops. You know, they are communities. They are places where we can share ideas as well. And they're very unique in the sense that they're quite different retail aspects Mm. than just your standard clothes shops, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed it and it was nice to also get some inspiration from other booksellers. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. I mean, if you weren't in the book industry, you probably wouldn't get much out of it at all. I only got what I got out of it because I did the Booksellers Association programme. To be honest, I walked around it a few times and soaked up the stuff, but the, you don't really talk to anyone because they're all doing their deals. Very bizarre almost place to be, but it was it was nice to just be in that atmosphere. It's not somewhere that I think I would go unless I had a specific plan of events lined yeah. up for me. What I would want to say about it, two two things. First of all, I'm glad I took a rolly suitcase, even though it was, I was only staying for a night because I needed it to get my books home. Definitely. Um, second of all, I appreciate there was a couple of things that made it particularly accessible. So it's free to enter on the door. There's no cost on the door, mm-hmm. which is good. So you could just rock up you and could. go to it. Also, for booksellers who haven't been before, like me, they did a hosted program. So pretty much everything to do with me was free. I got a free hotel. It is one of those industries that does try to make sure that everything is accessible financially, at least. And I enjoyed that. And it was a nice hotel as well, by the looks of it. It was a nice hotel. (laughs) It was four-star hotel near Kensington, I think. Uh, I don't really know London, so I'm going off what I saw on the signs. They even gave me like a free complimentary drink at their bar. And you can't go wrong with a good hotel breakfast. You can't, it's very true. So, fab, okay. That is our news. That is our news. And let's go on to our feature. So our feature topic for this episode is film and TV adaptations of books. I think it's safe to say that sometimes this is a bit of a hot topic in the book community. I think a lot of us can agree that where possible, you should read the book first. However, there are some exceptions. I know there's some things that I enjoy the movie TV adaptation of, which I wouldn't enjoy the book just because it's not the kind of book I would read. But also at the moment, there seems to be a lot of these going around. Both of us are booksellers, obviously, so we will see regularly see new editions of books which have the movie or TV cover, which aren't very nice. 
But they do their job, I suppose. They do their job until it's been a month after the TV adaptation is finished and you have 15 left downstairs and there's no way of selling them because nobody wants to buy them anymore. Especially not those editions because they're just picture covers of the scenes in it. They do their job in the sense that they remind people that what they're watching on TV is actually also readable, Mm -hmm. which is good. So let's start off with listing our favourite adaptations. I've got two, and then I've got one that I'll tag on at the end, which is a bit of a plot twist one. Not a plot twist, but a bit of a maybe not everyone would agree. Hey, we love our plot twists. <laughs> we have We're a plot twist. So first thing that comes to mind when I think about film adaptations is actually Atonement, partially because I love Keira Knightley. Literally, the two I put were Atonement and Never Let Me Go, which both star Keira Knightley. And I was like, maybe I just like her. Maybe I don't like films or books. Maybe I just like Keira Knightley. <laughs> So Atonement is a book by Ian McEwan. The basic plot is it's pre-war, a couple meet, the guy goes to war, he comes back, various things have happened. There's stuff with a younger sister who in the film is played by Saoirse Ronan. It's very Ian McEwan-y type book. It's about relationships. It's about how people fuck each other over, basically. I haven't watched it or read it. I don't necessarily love Ian McEwan, to be honest. Have you read the book as well? Yeah, I actually think I saw the film first from somebody's recommendation. It's a very atmospheric film. It's quite plot driven, but it's also a lot of very beautiful shots and a lot of great acting. And then I read the book and I was like, these match up perfectly in my head. So is that why you like the adaptation? I think so, yeah, because I was a... I don't think that film or TV adaptations necessarily have to be perfect line-by-line versions of the book. They're very different things, so... And as much as there's some where you like, you've literally cut out or changed so much of it. Some of them, inevitably, things have to be changed for the screen. What I think it's more about, personally, is the atmosphere that it generates. Yeah. Sometimes you just get a feeling from a book and you're like, this book gave me a good feeling, or like a weird feeling, or a strange feeling, and that sort of thing, that that's how you relate to the book and I think with Atonement the vibe of the book and the vibe of the film they match it up very well and there's also an iconic scene where Keira Knightley's got this like backless green dress on and I was just like this is dreamy. Do you fancy Keira Knightley? <laughs> Who knows? I feel like that's what I'm getting. But yeah, that is the first one that comes into my mind and sub to that, Never Let Me Go, which is obviously not the same thing, but that's, again, great book, great film, very similar vibe. Remind us who wrote the book. It's I'm going to ask you to pronounce his name. Clearly Ishiguru. That is a sort of sci-fi. It's a world where people are being born specifically to be organ donors and they can only do three organ donations and then they die and these three characters, who in the film are played by Keira Knightley, Andrew Garfield and Carrie Mulligan. Love Andrew Garfield. Love Andrew Garfield. Love Carrie Mulligan. It's a great cast like I recommend you watch it they strike out to try and stop themselves doing three organizations and stop themselves being killed but it's a really interesting concept and again the film is not 100% loyal to the book you know it's not that they're saying the same lines and this and that but it's a creepy book because it's a creepy concept and the film very much picks up on that and you get that sense of unease throughout the atmosphere of the book is quite grey and the atmosphere of the film is quite grey and they matched up very well in my head and I really liked that so what else did you enjoy adaptation wise I've also put Gone Girl Ooh, that's a, um, it's a bit of a controversial one because I haven't read it, but I watched it and was like, what the fuck is this? Did you not enjoy that film? Do you know what? I think I'm going. I think 30% of me enjoyed it and 70% of me was just like, what? Also, it's quite gory and it's quite intense and it's definitely not the kind of book I would read. I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit about this. The books that I read are very different to the films that I watch, mm-hmm. I think. So that means a lot of the time, actually, I don't read the book just because it's not the kind of book I would pick up. Mm-hmm. Gone Girl, I just wouldn't read that. I think it's a bit much for me. It was another one where I actually watched the 
film first because I think I didn't realise it was a book. That so happens now, especially with how many are being adapted. I watched it first and obviously because it's a thriller with quite a big plot twist, um, it kind of ruined the book for me because I was like, I know exactly what's going to happen. I do think that about crime adaptations. If you do watch it first, you kind of lose that suspense that the whole novel is trying to build. So perhaps they work well as films, but maybe you don't get as much out of it by reading and watching both. Definitely crime works really well as films because or, or TV adaptations because there's a lot of plot, there's a lot of twisty stuff happening. It's very interesting. It's very attention-grabbing. Whereas... It really can drop off because you just think they haven't captured what I wanted them to capture here. I did make a note, the 2013 Great Gatsby. Yeah. The Baz Luhrmann Great Gatsby. See, I really enjoyed that film. Actually saw the film before I read the book. Also loved the book. I'm shaking my head. No. <laughs> I think as a standalone, it's a good film. And I think the soundtrack is great. I think that what they did with the costumes and the set and like all the cars and stuff, really great. Like a cool film to watch, but I think the vibe's completely wrong. I do think... Though, having read the book now, the book is a lot better, obviously. But I know I enjoyed the film. I just think with The Great Gatsby, for me, that book is very much about F. Scott Fitzgerald's writing style. Yeah. And the disillusionment of post-war America. And I mean, I guess you do see this in the film of them trying to, like, cover up how sort of devastated they all are, and it's very, like, party, party, party. But... I feel like the film of The Great Gatsby is way more high-key than the book. It doesn't have the depth. It doesn't have, for me, I'm going to say the word atmosphere again, but it doesn't have that because I think that can only be captured in that specific writing style that he has. And I think it's really hard to translate that into film. Okay, so one of my favourites is The Devil Wears Prada. Great choice. Have not read the book. Would probably not read the book because it's not my kind of book, but it's such a good film. And I think this is one of those examples of where... It can bridge a gap, perhaps, because this made such a fab film and I don't have to read the book and I don't have to want to read the book, but I can still love it. I think what you said earlier about liking different types of films and books, that definitely strikes a chord for me because I think, yeah, I agree, Devil Wears Prada, amazing film. But if somebody pitched that to me as a book, I would be like, uh, that's just chiclet and I don't want to read that. What does that mean? Maybe I should just read them. Maybe I would like them. Maybe I'm stopping myself from enjoying my life. I feel exactly the same though. Have you watched them to all the boys I've loved before on Netflix? No, but I feel like I should. Okay, this is another one of those. Such a good film, really enjoyed it. Would never pick the book up. No, would never pick the book up. And a couple of others. So one of them is Hitchhikers, which I spoke about before. I watched the film first. When I was younger, I had a huge crush on Martin Freeman, still do, just saying. And there are a few things that are different, but it doesn't take away from the quirkiness and it's still a great film. And then a couple of my other ones are like YA adaptations. So Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda, mm. which was turned into the film called Love, Simon. I read the book because I wanted to watch the film and I was like, I feel like I need to read the book first. I'm really glad I did because the book was so heartwarming. So it's about a boy in high school. He's gay, but he's not out. He has an email relationship with another boy in school who's gay, but not out. And it's like a little cute little love story. And if I'd watched the film first, it would have ruined the enjoyment of not knowing who the other boy is in the book. Another in a similar vein is The Fault in Our Stars. So really enjoyed the book. The book is better than the film, but the film is also really cute. And I think those two are quite good examples of when you like the story, film or book, the story is good. And sometimes you just want to be able to access that story in a quicker way using the film. Yeah, I think when you are connected to these characters, I'll take them in any medium. 
Have you got any more you want to add? My final one, which the one that I was like, maybe people won't agree with this, but I don't care. My favourite Dickens adaptation, Muppet's Christmas Carol. Yeah, love it. Love it. And I actually only read A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens this Christmas. And the whole time through it, I was just like, a Muppet says those exact words. It is honestly the most loyal adaptation of Christmas Carol. It's ridiculous. It's so good. But also, it's got songs. And the songs are amazing. It's got puppets that cabbages. The meats and the cheeses. Literally, I was just about to say that. The best line of any film ever. No cheeses for us meters. It is so funny. It's so good. And Michael Caine. Michael Caine flying through the air in a white nightshirt and a little hat with like a bobble on it and being like, ghost, where are we going? It's just, it's honestly, I watch it every Christmas with my brother and it's just the best film. Also, that book has been adapted so much and Muppets will always be the best. Actually, that leads us quite happily on to talking about some classics. So the thing is with remakes, a lot of them are classic books that have been remade. And I think there's definitely some benefits to that in the sense that you may watch a film of a classic book and think, yeah, this is great. I'm going to actually read the book now which encourages people to read some forgotten literature, or not even forgotten, quite a good way to get new readers for old books. I think it's a very good way to keep older stories alive. Like, for example, Pride and Prejudice has been adapted almost 20 times. There's something still important to say about those stories, but they can be said in a different way through film and TV. A good example is all the all the many Shakespeare adaptations, particularly ones like 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes! And also She's the Man with Amanda Bynes. Just to make sure you guys know, 10 Things I Hate About You is Taming of the Shrew. She's the Man is Twelfth Night. Also, we thought we'd mention Lion King, which is actually Hamlet. These are all really good examples of where it's not actively saying we're a classic. It's actually saying this is a good quality story that we're going to turn around on yeah. his head a bit. Yeah. Adaptations are not always good. I mean, I think there's going to be standout ones for everyone. The Elephant in the Room was particularly despised by my sister because she loved the book so much she refused to go and see the films. Harry Potter. I think it really depends on what whether you've read the book first. I mean, one of the ones I think is actually a bad adaptation, which is funny because I will, I will watch the films, but perhaps I just see them different now, is The Hunger Games. So I really enjoyed the books and basically couldn't put them down. I love Jennifer Lawrence. It's not like they're bad films. But as adaptations, I'm not 100% sure they work. They work as a separate entity. But the problem I have was that the books are written in first person. And I think it's really, really hard to adapt a first person novel because the whole point is it's about that character's experiences. Actually, in the film, I don't like Katniss. I, she doesn't come across as a very nice person, but you understand why she's like that in the book. You have that background, you have those thoughts, and that's where it just fell down for me. So I kind of treat them as two different things now. I think that's a really interesting point, the first person thing. I hadn't even thought about that, actually, that really, with with a book, you can get really deep into a character that sometimes with film, you can't necessarily do that without it seeming clunky. Unless you have a voiceover of that character, which is so which rare, and it doesn't work. I hate you know? that. I always hate that. I think a lot of people really liked the adaptation of Hunger Games. And like I said, I do enjoy the films, but they're not the same to me. No. They're different things, they're different stories mainly because I feel like the films don't portray Katniss in a very great light. I think she's much more understandable and relatable when you hear it from her perspective in the books. This um, was my point about The Great Gatsby, definitely, that actually 
you think separately, fine. You watch it and you think, really, you were aiming for that book because you've not got there. If they had just been like, this is a film about the 20s, you sort of would have been like, yeah, this seems fine. But is it The Great Gatsby? I'm not sure. A lot of it is about separating the book and the film. If they don't match, if there are lots of things are left out, if lots of things are changed, then you kind of have to go into the film knowing that that's the case, knowing that there are going to be missing stuff and being okay with that. It's easier with some books. I think if you really love a book, then it will be very hard for you to let go of some things. And I totally get that. Sometimes the films are just bad though, aren't they? Yeah, go on, tell us. I have series of unfortunate events down here. The 2004 one with Jim Carrey the playing film, Count Olaf. not the TV not the, show. Not the TV show with Neil Patrick Harris. They tried to get too much into one film. A series of unfortunate events, it's 13 books. And I think the film, it's either three or four books that they would... I think would, it's the first three. And it's like a 90-minute film. It's just not a very good film. And they are really good books. So I grew up reading the books I ha- literally have on my shelf right now. <laughs> I can see them, all of the hardbacks. And they all say, to Kate from Grandma, because my grandma used to get me them every time. I was like, yay, they're going to adapt series of unfortunate events film was crap but Ellen hasn't watched the tv show with Neil Patrick Harris I would recommend you would watch that because it is good basically they have two episodes which I think they're almost an hour for each book that's really good so it's actually putting everything well not everything I, I imagine they're missing things out I don't know I haven't read them in a long time but the thing about that one is the film was definitely adapted for the audience age of the books. So kids, the TV show isn't really. It's more of an adult TV show. Not on children. It's just the stylization. It's very much for people our age who read the books when they were younger. You're genuinely um, selling it to me. I might go home and watch it because it, it's a great series. Although I will say I just spent the whole time envying Violet's style. <laughs> It's a very good example of how you can do things badly and you can do things well. But the TV show is Netflix, right? Yes. So I think this takes us on to our final thing that we wanted to talk about is uh, stuff that is coming soon, but also... How Netflix has changed the adaptations. So a lot of the ones we've talked about have been film adaptations. Sometimes you need more time. For example, I think, oh, what would have happened if they'd adapted Handmaids into a film? Because... Sharp and take a breath, it would have been awful. It wouldn't have got any of the drama and any of the important things in. Um, I mean, I think we both love the TV show as well as love the book. Do we love it? Oh, she's shaking her head. If you know me at all, you know that I am potentially the world's biggest Margaret Atwood fan. I love her. I'm obsessed with her. She's amazing. So what they did with Handmaid's Tale is the first series is based on the book. The second series, they went completely off-piste and she gave her permission for that and it's totally fine. And I think, I'm fairly certain she directed a bit or something, like she was consulting on it, but it's obviously not really based on anything other than her original ideas from the book. And it just got really weird. I thought that the first series was really good. Um, I mean, the second series is good, but you have to treat it as the fact that that's not about the book anymore. It's about the idea. It's about the idea and the characters in the story and they've been taken on, which I find really interesting now Margaret Atwood has said she's releasing a sequel because I don't know how much that's going to overlap with the TV show. I don't know. How do we feel about that? How do we feel about them kind of going off, off book, off script? In terms of Margaret Atwood, I was always going to be too invested. And so when they went off script, as we put it, for the second series, I was just like, what is happening? This isn't how I imagined it at all. Like, it, I think the second series got incredibly violent. And I think one of the things about the book that I quite enjoyed was that it's almost 
censored in a way. They it's live in, subtle, yeah, isn't it? You know, they're obviously subtly threatened to behave. But... I think she mirrors her writing style basically with that idea. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think you're alone. I think there is a lot of people, especially with certain books that they love, that no matter how you adapt it, even if it's good, it's not going to work with what you feel and how you feel about the book. So they have now done this with Game of Thrones. I read the first four or five Game of Thrones books and there are some people who feel about Game of Thrones the way I feel about Margaret Atwood. This is another one of those books that I would never read but watch the series, really enjoy it. There is people who have read them all and will continue to read them all but also love the series, my sister being one of them. Shout out, Jenny. This is a really good example of how Netflix and has changed things. It's very much, we need to get content, we need to get it now. We can't wait for these writers to actually finish these books. And also, because we've got Netflix, Now TV, Amazon, whatever, all of these different people making content now, so much more is coming out that it's probably quicker and easier to adapt a book than to come up with something completely new. So I think this is probably why we're seeing a lot of new adaptations that we didn't realise were books, because they were never amazing books. But it's just the fact that it translates well and it means that they can get more content out. We see, Yeah, we are seeing a lot of adaptations, but I think we did talk about this last time, there are no original stories anymore. Yeah, I mean, all stories are just rehashings of other stories. There's only so many new things to say, mm. but it's about how you say them differently. Now as well, it's not even just books that have done so well that get adapted. It's books that actually you might never heard of because it's about the story. It's, it's not necessarily about the audience anymore. People would adapt things that had such a big audience that they were guaranteed to make money on whatever adaptation they did. But now, is it part of publishing? Is it a part of getting a publishing deal? There's some books that I've seen that aren't even out yet that have got deals to be adapted, which is quite crazy, really. It's It's a whole new part of the industry. Yeah, I think in the past, potentially, the only way that things were getting adapted is if they had, yeah, a big enough readership and there were people who were saying, we want to see this on film. We want to see who would play this person. We want to know how it would be acted out in real life. I want to be able to look at it on a screen and relate to these characters even more. Whereas now, everything that comes out there, like, it's already optioned for a series of three films. It's already optioned for a series on Hulu. And you're like, nobody's even read it yet. Like, what if nobody likes the story? But some of them just won't work. I think literary fiction just doesn't really work very well. That's exactly what I was going to say. a few exceptions, maybe. Let us know what you think. Do you like it when people adapt, adapt novels into films, TV... I imagine quite a lot of you out there will have strong views on this. Um, We're kind of, I think we're middling. We're kind of like, yeah, it works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. It really depends on how invested you are in the book, I think. I think that's the conclusion we've come to, isn't it? That actually, it just depends whether you care about stuff. And I'm not sure that there are enough books that I'm super obsessed with that actually I'm all the time like, things are being adapted and I hate it. We've often pitted books and sort of TV and film against each other, but I think this is a really nice way that they're working together, especially with children's books as well, because it's getting more kids reading. So not 100% sure what we'll be talking about next time. We'll let you know. We'll have to let you know. We'll tease it in our Instagram. Um, Speaking of, follow us at The Covercast on Instagram. Um, You can also find links to our personal Instagrams on there please review us on whatever platform that you listen to us on because 
if you review us, more people will listen, which is amazing, and you'll get even better podcasting from us. So we are on uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, we are on Spotify, and then we are on various other specific podcast apps as well. You can try and find us. Um, also, if you use a specific podcast app that we haven't mentioned, if you search our RSS feed, which we can link to, then you'll probably find us on there as well. And then you can continue to find the episodes, so it's much easier for you to listen to us wherever you like. And subscribe. We will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.